I want your heart. himself as our redeemer those disciples said and did not our hearts burn within us we don't know exactly which prophecies Jesus used those that are spoken of there in Luke chapter 24 but it is very likely that many of Jesus texts would appear on this list that someone has faithfully collected uh, for us and this is what 365 prophecies look like. I'm not intending you to be able to read them, but just to get a sense that every day of the year you could read one definitive prophecy that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is what it would be to work through all of those prophecies that find their focus in Jesus Christ. Last week, we saw how the prophecies pointed to Jesus Christ's ancestry. This morning, we look at the Old Testament prophecies concerning our Lord's glorious divine person. We'll see this morning how the Lord Jesus shares in the names of God, how he shares in the attributes of God, how he shares in the works of God, and how is, he is a distinct person within God or within the Godhead. Well, come with me if you care to, to your handout sheet, and we'll notice Roman number one, Christ shares in the names of God. First of all, God's name, El, is given to the Messiah. Here, two familiar passages, the one, Isaiah 7, 14, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, Imanu, with us, and El, God. This babe to be born is God with us. And then Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, that child that is born, one of his titles is Mighty God, Mighty El. And so here, amazing as it is, this child that is to be born is, gets to share a name with the Mighty God of Heaven. Secondly, B, God's name, Elohim, is given to Messiah. It is shared with Messiah. Uh, this from uh, that psalm that we read uh, earlier in our worship, Psalm 45 and verse 6. It's a psalm that starts out uh, about Solomon and, uh, on a wedding day. Uh, but the sons of Korah rise above that, for in verse 6, they have this language for us, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. The worshiping sons of Korah recognize that 
the name of God is appropriate for this great bridegroom who is to come. They turn to him and then speak of how blessing has come from Elohim to this one that they are calling Elohim. So two different persons are here in view, and then Psalm 45 closes with verse 17 with this divine bridegroom being worshipped universally. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and ever. And here, again, is one of these Old Testament prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is that he gets to share in God's name, Elohim. But then thirdly, God's name, Yahweh, is given to the Messiah. If we think back 2,000 years before Christ some roughly 4,000 years ago when Abraham lived, there was the angel of the Lord. There were those other two angels that came and spoke to Abraham. Uh, we read in Genesis 18 and verse 1, and Yahweh and the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre. And we drop down to Genesis 18.22, and the men uh, turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord, before Yahweh. And God, the Holy Spirit, is comfortable saying that there are these two angels that have departed and gone on to Sodom, but this one distinctive angel, the angel of Jehovah, here is simply just referred to as Jehovah. So there is this pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity. But then come with me if that's 2,000 years before Christ. Let's come ahead to just 600 years before Christ at the time of the Babylonian captivity where Jeremiah gives us this wonderful prophecy by the Spirit. Jeremiah 23, I'll begin reading at verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, in all caps, Yahweh when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. In his days, verse 6, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. Jehovah, or Yahweh, our righteousness, the Lord, in all caps, is our righteousness. So you see what is happening. Jeremiah prophesies of a coming day when there is this one from the branch of David, this descendant that will come, and that's wonderful in and of itself. But then to find out that that one who is to come from David, some kind of human being, is going to have the name of Yahweh on him, Yahweh our righteousness. And then the verses that follow, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
In verse 7, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people out of Israel. So it is the same Yahweh who brought all of those plagues on Egypt and brought them as a nation up. This Yahweh is going to have his name to be on this descendant of David. Well, is that something that God normally does? Does God just lightly throw his Yahweh name around? Well, we all know better, don't we? Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. This is my name. And that one who is the branch of David will have my name, Yahweh, our righteousness on him. And then if we go from Jeremiah on to Zechariah, living some 500 years before Christ, that if Jeremiah is ministering at a time when they're going away into the captivity, then Zechariah is ministering at a time when at least a host of them have come back into the land and are restored from that captivity. And we must hear who is speaking in Zechariah 12. I'll pick it up in verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel, thus declares the Lord, all caps, thus declares Yahweh, verse 4, on that day declares the Lord, verse 8, on that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. This is what Yahweh is going to do. And now verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Who is it who is speaking? It is Yahweh. What is Yahweh doing? He is giving grace to them, giving divine favor to them. Who does that? God alone. And yet it is this God alone Yahweh that we will, men will look on as one who has been pierced. Now, plainly, this is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus coming into the world, living for us that perfect life, and then dying that perfect death as our substitute. And this is a prophecy that Jesus is going to make, or John is going to make very plain that the one who is pierced is Yahweh. How can that be except in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? So please see the infinite worth of Jesus' sacrifice. He is truly human, but he is as well truly divine. And so whatever your sins have been, there is plenty enough and more grace and help to cover all of your sins. 
So Roman number one, Christ shares in the names of God. But secondly, consider with me, Christ shares in the attributes of God. One of the attributes of God is that he has existed forever. All of us have never-dying souls. And that means from the point of our conception in our mother's womb, as we have begun to exist, we will have we are never-dying spirits. We, are, we have never-dying souls. So all of us will go on into eternity future, but God is the only one who goes back into eternity past with no beginning. Well, notice with me, A, under Roman numeral 2, the Messiah is eternally existent. We find this from the prophecy in Micah, Micah 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Micah, living at about the same time of Isaiah, who speaks of the child that is to be born as going to be this great eternal ruler, Micah tells the people of God living in relative darkness that there is yet hope because of this great person, this great ruler who is to come. And the first thing in Micah's prophecy that I would underscore for you is the humanity of the ruler. Listen to this in verse 3. When she who is in labor has given birth. Sounds rather human, right? And then we find the former existence of this coming ruler. This is from verse 2 that we've already read. Whose coming forth is from of old. And if this is a reference back to an earlier time when the angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham, appeared to Manoah, this angel of the Lord, his goings forth, the point is of the prophet, there is one who is coming from a woman. But this is not his first appearance in the world. His goings forth have been from antiquity, from of old. But then there is this greater detail of his eternity. Well, let's pause for a moment. How good is your skill at prophecy? Would you like to predict some influential person that is going to come and say that, well, it's going to, he'll come from New York City. No. No, it's, it's got to be some small little place like Bethlehem. And, and you're going to say there is this great ruler is to come, is going to come into Bethlehem. But as he comes, he's somebody who's already been around. If you're able to prophesy of such as a coming ruler... 
would you really go out on the limb and say that this one who is to come is somebody who has already been around? But then further, see in these verses the eternal existence of this coming ruler whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, or with the new King James, from everlasting. This is how the King James, the new King James ASV renders it. No American standard is the most literal. From the days of eternity. It's not only that this babe who is going to come has appeared other times on the earth. It's not only that he has pre-existence. It is that he has eternal pre-existence. He is from the days of eternity. Jesus Christ shares in the attribute of God of eternal existence. Many of the ancient rabbis came on this passage and they said, you know, it's speaking of the Messiah. You remember when the wise men came and Herod says, okay, these guys are asking from some, for about some ruler that's to come up out of Israel. Where's, where's that going to happen? And he pulls together all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired, where is this Messiah to be born? And they say, well, that's easy, chief. My prophecy is found in Micah 5 and verse 2, and it's quoted for us there in Matthew and chapter 2 and verse 6. And they tell Herod, well, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So how can one, believing in just the Old Testament, miss who Jesus is? He is, as we saw last week, that one who is descended from Eve, descended from Abraham, descended from Judah, descended from David, and now we find that this one who is the branch of David deserves the name Yahweh, our righteousness. And now we're hearing of a babe who is to be born is one who has some pre-existence and actually has eternal pre-existence. But then secondly, Isaiah chapter 9, the father of eternity Isaiah 9 and verse 6, of those four titles that are to given to the babe, one of the titles given to him is Everlasting Father. And it's not speaking of the first person of the Trinity, but it is speaking of Jesus more as the Father of eternity, the one from whom eternity flows. Uh, it is... Isaiah is not confusing Jesus with the Father, but more in the sense of Jesus saying, I will give them eternal life. He is the Father of eternity. He has eternity at his disposal. Please note, we cannot work our way to heaven. We need the Father of eternity to give us eternal life, and we receive that gift of eternal life as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So A, Messiah is eternally existent. But then secondly, B, the Messiah 
is God's Son. We've already read this, but in Psalm 2 and verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son today, I have begotten you. He is the son of God. And you've heard me try to illustrate this before, that the son of a mouse possesses mouseness. And the son of a giraffe possesses certain characteristics, like a long neck, that marks that giraffe, that sun out, as a true giraffe. And when we have one who is the son of God, who is so connected to God, he possesses godness. Yahweh and his anointed are united. They have common enemies. One speaks, Jehovah speaks, Yahweh speaks, and then his anointed speaks. Yahweh identifies the anointed as Yahweh's king, and the anointed identifies himself as Yahweh's son. And then finally, you've got that divine son who has the power to judge the whole earth, and therefore we are urged to kiss the Son. The divine Son has the power to judge. He is like God because he is God. The names, the attitudes, and now thirdly, Roman numeral three, Christ shares in the works of God. First of all, A, the Messiah shares in God's work of creation. You see, it's only God that is around at the beginning when there is nothing else but God, when there is no creation. But here, wisdom personified as creation's maker is found in Proverbs 8 and verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Verse 27, when he established the heavens, I was there. Verse 29, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. And doesn't that remind you of the explicit teaching of John concerning the Lord Jesus? All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Messiah shares in God's work of creating the universe. Secondly, B, Messiah shares in the work of ruling and judging. And this from Psalm 2. Uh, Psalm 2 and verse 12, we've covered it again, but it's a valuable text for us. Kiss the son lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. God the Father and God the Son have the same enemies. God the Father and God the Son have the same passion against those enemies. 
and God the Father and God the Son will hold them accountable. Notice Isaiah 9 and verse 7, this eternal rule of the Son, of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. And we find that here again, that God the Father and God the Son share not only in just the judgment that comes at the end of time, but in the rule. There is this increase of his government. There is as well this historic connection with David. This rule, this peace is going to come when this one is on the throne of David. He is the one who rules through the Davidic line. But then notice the eternal duration of this rule and peace. And we know that it's not just a physical son. Isaiah 9 and verse 7, from this time forth and forevermore. I urge you to make sure that you are properly aligned with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is going to rule this universe from the point of his being resurrected from the dead, his ruling will continue to the end of eternity, if you know when that end is. But then fourthly, notice that Jesus Christ is a distinct person within God, within the Godhead. He shares in the names, the attributes, and the works of God. And we know from our New Testament that there are three distinct persons in the Godhead. So we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we know, as Paul says, there is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is the love of God. And there is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that he wishes on them all. But I want us to go back to the Old Testament and see that there are these indications of distinct persons in the Godhead, even in the prophecies concerning Christ. First of all, A, Yahweh speaks of his unique suffering companion. Zechariah 13 and verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Here is a prophecy that speaks of Jesus Christ and he applies it to himself. And not only do we have this in uh, Zechariah, but we have that uh, piercing. When they look on me, on him whom they have pierced. There, there are at least these two persons in the Godhead. There is God the Father, Yahweh, and then there is this Son. There is this other person that God is comfortable sharing his name with him. And then we have as well, B, Yahweh speaks to David's Lord who rules as an eternal priest. Psalm 110 the Lord says to my Lord, this is David. He's top dog in all of Israel. He's the top man. He's the king. And he says, the Lord 
said to my Lord, someone other than David, someone bigger, someone more powerful, more worthy than David. Once again, it points to these two persons in the Godhead that hint at least of these two, and that he is an eternal ruler over his enemies. And the Lord Jesus takes up this text, this psalm, and applies it to himself. So we find that there is this unique, suffering companion of God the Father. We find that Yahweh says to King David's Lord, so there are again these two persons, at least in the Godhead. And then thirdly see, the eternally ruling God is blessed by God. And we're back to Psalm 45, where Solomon, King Solomon, that's where we start off at the wedding, at the bridegroom here, but it rises to a bridegroom that is greater than Solomon. Your throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. Verse 7 now. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. So I'm talking to God, but as I'm talking to God, I'm talking about God blessing this God that I am speaking to. So it hints at least of these two who are God. Are there two gods? No. But there are three persons in the Trinity, in the Godhead, and God the Father in these Old Testament prophecies is acknowledging the deity of God the Son. Well, fourthly, D, Yahweh. Yahweh and his anointed rule. His anointed rule and redeem and judge together. We've seen this again, but I want to make a separate point of it to highlight it. In Psalm 2, the rulers of the earth set themselves against whom? They set themselves against Yahweh and against his anointed. They are setting themselves against Yahweh and Yahweh's divine king. They set themselves against Yahweh and Yahweh's son. And the father and the son are shown in their interaction with one another. Each of them speaks in Psalm 2. Each of them speaks of the other person. So it's very plain that there are these two persons of the deity. They share in this work of ruling and redeeming and judging together. They both have enemies. They both have wrath. They both will bring that wrath to bear. But then finally, E, a closing appeal. Please see the carefulness with which God the Holy Spirit has tucked away in the Old Testament scriptures all of these prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, 
all of these indications of what this babe who is to be born, this one from the, the branch of David that is to come, what he is going to be like. Is it too wonderful for you that the babe to come is going to be both God and man? Is it too wonderful for you that God would send his eternal son into the world to live and die? Now, I admit that the message of the gospel is wonderful. However, through all of these Old Testament prophecies, God the Holy Spirit is giving us little glimpses. Look at this one. Look at this one. Look at this one. There is this wonderful angel of the Lord that is visiting there with Abraham. And the Bible records for us that Abraham was there before Yahweh. Then almost a thousand years later with David, we've got Yahweh and his anointed. 300 years after this, we've got Isaiah talking about God with us. We have Micah talking about one who's going to be born, but he's already been here, and he really goes back to eternal preexistence. So yes, the God-man, Jesus Christ, is indeed wonderful. But God expects you and me to glean this from the scriptures. Jesus said after his resurrection to those uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, oh foolish one, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? You have heard from Moses and all the prophets, the things that speak of Jesus Christ. Now you need to embrace these. And if these wonderful prophecies of the positive nature of the Lord Jesus Christ do not move you to faith, then I urge you to take the 3,000-year-old advice and warning of Yahweh from Psalm 2. Be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Kiss him in faith. Kiss him in acknowledging your sin and asking that he will take all of your sin and give you his perfect righteousness. Lest he be angry. And you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Kiss him by putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all these little gems that you have scattered in your Old Testament scriptures that speak of the wonderful person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly human, to be born of a woman, to be born of a virgin, yet truly divine, God with us, Father of eternity, mighty God. Father, we pray that for those who have not yet believed in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that they would look to him as that being who is truly man and truly God, that one who has an infinite worth to his sacrificial death because of his deity, and that one who is able to identify with us and able to be our representative because he is one of us, he is truly human. We pray, Lord, that at this Christmas season that you would draw all of us to faith in your glorious Son. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.